0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Oh well, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would do two things for us tonight, that you would show us our need for Jesus and that you would give him to us. Amen. We'll be on page 3 of our bulletin, or in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which is on page 958 in the Pew Bible. I'm going to be preaching from the text of 1 Corinthians. And if you've been here on Sunday mornings, you know that 1 Corinthians has been the series that we're preaching on. And we will actually get to this passage through our series on Pentecost. So I don't plan on preaching the whole passage, but actually plan on focusing on seven words in this text We hear these words each and every week in our communion service, and I fear that we may be inoculated to its power because of their familiarity. I'm talking about the words in verse 23 of chapter 11 that function as a kind of preamble to what we call the words of institution. We call the words of institution those words that Jesus gave us to say when we celebrate communion, but there's something that comes before, and it's these words. I'm talking about the words, on the night on which he was betrayed. Those famous Maundy Thursday words that fly by us every week. Have you ever stopped to think about them? It's kind of shocking, really. On the night he was betrayed... Really, it's a time marker. It's a way of grounding Jesus' institution of the Lord's Supper in a specific time and place. But the question is, why did the Apostle Paul choose this time marker? Why did he choose this phrase to say, this is when it happened? If Paul were trying to establish context, he could have used many other markers, like on the night that he washed the disciples' feet, or on the night he gathered with the disciples in the upper room, for on the night he gave his disciples the great command to love one another. But Paul chooses something very specific to establish which evening that Jesus did these things. He calls it the night he was betrayed. Why does Paul do this? The question that you and I bring to the text this evening, and in fact, it's the question that every human being must bring to the one true living God is what does Jesus have to do with those who betray him or more precisely what does Jesus do with those who betray him we're going to let that question dangle for just a little bit what do you hear when you hear this time marker on the night that he was betrayed I know what I hear I hear Judas Judas Iscariot the betrayer You know, when he's first introduced in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus first calls his disciples and names them all or or calls them by name, Judas is, in fact, introduced as Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus. How'd you like that for your bio on the start of your ministry? And maybe we could let Judas off the hook just a little when we read in Luke's Gospel that Satan himself entered into Judas So maybe Judas was just a pawn in some cosmic game. But no, even before Satan entered him, Judas was always a despicable person. I was reminded of this a couple weeks ago at our Lenten midday preaching service when we were reading the text of Jesus' feet being anointed by Mary at Bethany. The text made a point to talk about Judas. Evidently, Judas was upset that Mary wasted a pound of expensive ointment poured out on Jesus' feet. And John 12 says, Judas Iscariot said, Why was this ointment not sold and the money given to the poor? Which sounds very noble at first, but then the text goes on with this commentary. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. You know, it's one thing to be a bad guy. It's another thing to be a bad guy faking to be a good guy. Judas was the greedy, deceptive scoundrel. He didn't care one whip about the poor, but he sure played that card when it was convenient. I don't know if there's anyone more hateable than someone like that. A bad guy faking to be good. And so when we hear the words, on the night he was betrayed, we rightly hear, on the night that that despicable, no good, evil Judas betrayed Jesus. That's what we hear. Judas, the archetype of the unlovable person. You know, have you ever had a situation in life that presented you with the unlovability of someone else? Several months ago, in the middle of the week, It was about 1.30 p.m. here, and I hadn't eaten lunch yet. It was a busy day of meeting with people, and I had this 20-minute window to get some food. I was hungry, and the blood sugar was a bit low, so I walked down the street to grab a quick lunch from Roly-Poly, right over there, and bring it back. As I was paying, I had one of those haunting moments where it felt like Ooh, this is going to be one of those perfect storm-type situations. I'm tired and I'm hungry, and I'm going to be walking back to Advent with my lunch, and I'm going to pass by someone who needs my lunch more than I do. And then I thought to myself, Zach, why did you just think that thought? Now you're on the hook. So I had this internal dialogue, and the dialogue ended with this prayer. God, if you want me to do this, number one, make it super obvious, make it plain, because I'm liable to try to ignore it if I'm honest. And number two... Give me the strength to say yes in that moment. Well, I walked back up 20th, and I was at the home stretch. I was just about to turn the bend into the garden. In fact, my back was facing toward the street, home free. And I turned, and wouldn't you know it, someone from across the street started shouting at me. He actually ran through traffic to get to me. He said, hey, 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 sir, hey, sir, can I ask you a question? Dang it, God, why are you doing this? But I turned, turned around, and with a huge internal sigh, I said, Hey, man, do you need something? And he said a little forcefully, Yeah, I haven't eaten. Do you have any money so I can get some lunch? And after cursing God in my heart, I lifted up my bag and said, I don't have any cash that I can give you, but I do have this. It's my sandwich. I haven't even opened it. And I started to hand it to him. And this is where things take a very weird turn. I never would have expected this in a million years. As I hand it to him, the man stops me and says, Wait, what is it? And I say, Dude, it's a great sandwich. I love it, and I haven't touched it. It's yours. No, man, open it up so I can see it. (laughs) Okay. So I open it up. And he starts inspecting and examining it. And while he's doing it, he's got this look on his face like, well, that's not my kind of sandwich. And my blood is starting to boil, right? I'm starting to get really angry, and I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, man, beggars can't be choosers. Just take the lunch. I'm not making this up. After pausing, he says, you don't have anything else? And I say, no, this is what I've got, and it's yours if you want it. And he sighs, and he says, OK, and he grabs it from me. And I'm thinking, man, what's your deal? I really wanted that lunch, and you don't seem to be that interested in it. And he starts to walk off. No, thanks so much. No, I really appreciate this. And I'm pretty incensed. So I turn around, I start walking toward the church. And then, to my surprise, the man turns back and says, hey, excuse me. I turn around and say, yes, and here's where I think some gratitude's come in my way. You didn't get anything to drink? Oh my gosh! And I said, no, sorry. And I walked away. I was so mad. I honestly felt a little betrayed by the whole situation. And I stomped up the stairs, right over there. Stomped up those stairs. And I walked into this very room, totally vacant. And I yelled out, what was that, God? What was going on in that moment for me? If I truly were a good person, according to God's definition of good, it shouldn't have mattered what the disposition of my good deed, of the recipient of my good deed was. If it really were a good deed, it would have had no hook, no string attached. But in that moment, my anger showed that there was a string attached. I was looking for the man to respond in thankfulness and gratitude. I was looking for someone worthy of my love. I was basically saying I want to love you so long as I can feel good about loving you. And God in this very room hit me with a lightning bolt. You weren't loving him. You were loving yourself. You were looking for that good feeling that you would get off of doing something supposedly godly and selfless. And this man didn't so much take away your lunch. He took away the thin veneer of goodness from off your selfish act. See, Zach, how little capacity you have to genuinely love someone really unlovable. It's easy enough to love a lovable person because there's return, there's payouts. But it's not so easy to love someone who's ungrateful and unthankful. It's not so easy to love the unlovable. It's not so easy to love someone who's betrayed you. And then the Lord gave me a moment of conviction so clear and so powerful that I had to sit on that back pew. The Lord said to me, "Zach, today I tell you a parable. You are that man. You are the unworthy. You are the ungrateful. You are the betrayer. And so what I received from the Lord that day, I pass on to you. As hard as it is to hear, as much as you want to deny, fight, or squirm out of this, maybe even as good of a person as you think you are, you are Judas. If you think you aren't Judas, Well, listen to this story. There was another man who thought he wasn't Judas. He came up to Jesus, feeling pretty good about himself, saying, hey, Jesus, I've kept all your commandments. I love God with my whole heart. And Jesus called his bluff. Jesus said to this rich young ruler, "Okay, you've got a lot of wealth. Go and sell all of it and give it to the poor, and then you can come and follow me. Jesus was giving some really tough love in that moment. You don't really love God. You love yourself. And that's betrayal. And what's worse is that you're hiding the fact that you don't love me behind a bunch of good deeds. You're a bad guy pretending to be good. And so the question is to you who bristle at the idea that you are Judas. Do you really want to test God on that? His words clear. Romans 3. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Or in the famous Good Friday words of Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. You and I, we are Judas. So when we hear the preamble to the words of institution on the night he was betrayed, we must hear clearly the shocking and devastating word on the night that you and I betrayed Jesus. There is no other way to hear this word. One of the big and hard to swallow truths of scripture flies in the face of nearly all our interactions in modern culture today. You see, whatever media we're interacting with, whether uh, with everyone, everyone seems to be bent on categorizing people in good or bad camps. Pick your political news outlet. Pick any strong justice-oriented Facebook post and even, unfortunately, pick so many so-called Christian pulpits across our country, and you will find the division of good and bad there. And always, the good people are us, and the bad people are them. The Bible, in contrast, delivers an obliterating and leveling word to all this nonsense. It's like a nuclear bomb whose blast radius is so huge and so powerful that every last glorious edifice that thought it could withstand the greatest of forces is rendered dust, totally flattened. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All, all have betrayed their maker. We are Judas. And so we come back at our question, why does Paul Set Jesus' institution of Holy Communion in the context of betrayal. Because our God is the kind of God that gives grace to his betrayers. God is a God who chooses to set his affection on his enemies. God's not waiting for you to become lovely, to clean up your act. He's not waiting for you to become worthy or lovable. He's not expecting anything from his betrayers. He asks for nothing. And he gives everything. Does this sound too good to be true? Perhaps tonight... As you watch the slow and somber stripping of the chancel, as hard as it may be, imagine yourself at the crucifixion, perhaps as one of the Roman guards, stripping your Lord naked. Put yourself in the skin of Peter the moment he locked eyes with Jesus and the cock crowed. Picture yourself as a cold and removed pilot Trying desperately to wash your hands of all guilt only to find the blood of your Savior on them. Or maybe, if you dare, identify with Judas himself and kiss your Lord on the cheek. But then, as you strip your Lord, as you betray him, and as you look into his eyes, know with certainty that he looks right back at you with absolute, eternal sincerity and says, even now, especially now, I love you. Jesus loves the unlovely because the unlovely are the only kind of people there are. Jesus loves and died for his betrayers because betrayers are the only kind of people there are you see on the night that Jesus was betrayed it said Jesus took something and if you didn't know what that something was what would you assume on the night he was betrayed he took a sword on the night he was betrayed he took an army on the night he was betrayed he took his betrayers life in righteous justice no On the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And instead of breaking his betrayer, he yields himself to be broken for his betrayer. Instead of pouring out the blood of his enemy before God the Father in sweet justice, he allows his enemy, you and me, to spill his blood for our sake Romans 5 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if while we were enemies, We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took himself and gave it to you. And as you come to the table tonight, receive the life of Jesus. Take him in. Hear him say, my body for you. Hear him say, my blood for you. And as you do, know for certain that his love is strong and his forgiveness is full and final. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed your transgressions from you to remember your sins no more. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.